the Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. Just remember that the show is made possible through listeners and viewers like you. Just go to thepaulleslie.com and click on Support the Show. Thank you to all of you who have contributed. Now let's get into the interview. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a great pleasure to welcome our special guest, the one and only Bela Fleck. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Good to be here. Who is Bela Fleck? <laughs> I don't know. Who is Bela Fleck? A lot of people know you as Bela Fleck, the banjo virtuoso, but who are you at heart? Obsessive compulsive banjo player? Probably, uh, <laughs> That's an interesting answer. Know. What was life like growing up in New York City? Oh, I was the nerd that got beat up. That was my style, yeah. And, and then actually when I got to be about 15 and I got my first banjo, that was sort of what changed me from, uh, you know, I don't know how to put it, except that it gave me self-respect and, and gave me something to, to care about. And it, it really kind of, I hate to say it saved my life, but it definitely turned me around. What early records influenced you? Well, the Beatles were, were big big around my house on this being the 60s, but then when I started playing banjo, I got into Latin Scruggs and then a great banjo player from, from New York State named Tony Trishka, and, uh, and then, then jazz, things like Chick Corea and Return to Forever, Pat Martino, Miles Davis, Coltrane, Charlie Parker. What banjo players influenced you the most? Well, Tony Trishka was a big one. He was sort of the modern, modern cat back back when I came up, and really he still is, just one of the greatest banjo players ever. And then there's the traditional guys that I really loved, people like Earl Scruggs, who I, I wouldn't be playing banjo if it wasn't for him, and J.D. Crow are probably my favorite traditional players. And then uh, other other people like Bill Keith was a great one, and really the, the thing about banjo is there's so many great banjo players. Once you get into the field and you understand it, you find out the personality really comes through on the banjo. You really, you really can find out who someone is musically when they start playing a banjo. Banjo is associated with a certain image, and a lot of people would be surprised to know where it comes from. So I was hoping you could tell everybody about the origins of the banjo. Sure. Well, the banjo originally comes from Africa and uh, West Africa, and the slaves brought it over, and whether they brought it physically with them or they brought the knowledge of how to make it with them, they played these instruments in the United States and, and slave times, and then gradually the instrument became much more widespread, and white folks started playing it. And in fact, at first they painted themselves with blackface and imitated the slave music, but eventually it just started to have its own life outside of the black community. And, uh, and then it, it played a big role in the early days of jazz with people like Louis Armstrong and Jelly Roll Morton. And, and at the same time, it, it had this sort of traditional mountain style that was, was happening in the Appalachians. So, so it really had, you know, these different roots of the tree, just, they just keep on going back. You have three albums in a kind of series, and it's entitled Tales from the Acoustic Planet. 
what has been the, the un- unifying theme of those records? Well, that's a good question. Well, when I made the first record, it was just a, a title for a record, but it seemed like there was something more than just one album title to it. So I think at the time I made that album, I had been doing uh, records with the Flectones for a while, which were, you know, drums, electric bass, keyboards, and I, sometimes I would be playing electric banjo, and it was definitely more of a rock band or a rock jazz band. So when I made that first Tales from the Acoustic Planet, I really wanted to go back to a very acoustic sound. And so the first record was a meeting of people from the jazz community and the bluegrass community, people like Chick Corea and Branford Marsalis meeting people like Tony Rice and Sam Bush and Jerry Douglas and some of the Flectone guys. And so it was a very acoustic meeting, but it, it was, I think except for one song, all the all the percussion was, was hand, you know, I think Future Man played banjo head to do the percussion with his fingertips and things like that. So the second Tales from the Acoustic Planet was kind of also a meeting of, it was really a bluegrass record. It was called the Bluegrass Sessions. And of, of, again, very, very acoustic recording, but there was a, a factor of a meeting of different generations. We had Earl Scruggs on the record, but we also had this newer generation that, I, that I'm, I'm a part of, that Sam Bush and Jerry Douglas and, and Tony Rice. We also had Vassar Clements from a previous generation uh, and John Hartford. So there was that feeling of, of a meeting even though it was within the same musical community. And also, I was trying to bring in a lot of elements from, from outside of bluegrass, but still keep it bluegrass. The third of Tales from the Acoustic Planet is probably what I originally had in mind when I thought of the title, which was the idea of traveling around the world and playing with acoustic musicians from all around the world. But once again, it's a meeting between me and all these African musicians and, and all taking place in Africa, in Uganda, Tanzania, Mali, and Uganda. We're talking with Bela Fleck. So you just mentioned this traveling to Africa for the third volume in that kind of series, Tales from the Acoustic Planet. What was that experience like for you? Kind of a banjo pilgrimage. It really was. It was part pilgrimage and part calculus test because I was playing with all of these incredible musicians and I I was very new to their music. So I, I was practicing like crazy every day, meeting musicians, recording their music a little bit, and then going back back to the campsite and studying it. I could play it with them later that day or maybe the next day. And then as soon as we did it, we would film it and record it, and then we'd either get in in the van and drive to another area and do it again or fly to a different country and do it again. Today was very intense musical study period while with a lot of pressure on, too, because I had to perform on camera with these folks every day, and it was about a 30-day trip. So by the end of it, I was just exhausted, and I didn't really know exactly what had happened. And it wasn't until seeing all the film and hearing all the tapes that I realized that something really great had happened and it had gone really, really well. On one of the cuts on that album, you perform with an artist named DeGarry, a great guitarist. What was he like to work with? He's a very sweet guy. He comes from Madagascar, actually. That was one of the tracks that I recorded in Nashville before I went to Africa because Degari was, was in the States um, touring around. And so he was sort of my, my first African experience in terms of recording for this record. And it was great because it was a controlled experience in the studio and it was in my house. So we could just basically jam all we wanted for three or four days and then I could go see what I got. And I actually got a lot of great material from that recording session, and it made me feel confident that when I went to Africa, things would go well. 
but he he, um, he plays fingerstyle guitar, and it's, it's it's amazing what he does. It, it, some things about it that remind me of banjo playing, because because there's a lot of rolling patterns and a lot of rhythmic complexity. Tell us about working with Rusi Masala on the song Thula Mama. And I hope I wasn't butchering those pronunciations. Yeah, that's Lucy Matlasela. That's how it's pronounced, and uh, and he's from South Africa, and he's a fantastic singer and guitar player. Call him the voice. He just has such an incredible, powerful voice, and he is one of the other people that I got to collaborate with in the United States. It was something where I was on a radio show called E Town, and he asked me to sit in with him, and we did this song, and we had never met before, and it turned out so great that even though this had happened after I had made the whole African record, I asked if it was possible that I could include it. So it's a live track, first time we met, and I thought it turned out really beautifully. You co-wrote a song on the album with Jelimada Tunkara, entitled Miriam, and again, you'll probably have to help me with the pronunciation, but tell us about that song. Well, this was, when I got to Mali, I really wanted to look for Jelimadi because he Jelamati is, is a legendary guitar player for, for his, his speed and dexterity. He plays the guitar with the language of the Kora or the Angoni, which are two Malian instruments. And when you hear that stuff played on guitar, it makes the guitar into a whole different instrument, really. So he really has done something amazing with the guitar. I, I got to go to his home, and, and he's a very wealthy guy, and which means he has a compound full of people that he's responsible for. Lots of kids and, and relatives that all live with him, and he funds the whole enterprise with, with his guitar playing. And uh, and we sat around, and, and he started to show me some of the techniques he was doing, and gradually we started to write a tune. And then we went into a studio in Bamako, Mali, and recorded it. Will there be another album in the Tales from the Acoustic Planet series? Well, there is a sort of a volume 3.2 that came out last year, which was a whole other album of African music, all from that same trip. And... The truth is that there was way more music than I could fit on one CD that, that turned out well from my trip to Africa. So I put out a second album, and it, it's been out probably been out a year already. There, there's a red album and a, and a yellow album, and they're, they're both. Some of them are the same artists, and some of them are artists that uh, didn't make it onto the first CD because I had space limitations. But the music is just as good, and, and there's a lot of discovery and a lot of incredible moments. And actually, both albums won in consecutive years, won Grammys for Best World Music Album, Best Contemporary World Music Album. So pretty thrilled that, that it was so well-received. The latest album from the Fletcones is entitled Rocket Science. And for those who have not heard the album, what does rocket science mean? Uh, rocket Science was supposed to just be fun, and it, it, it ties back to the original album titles of the early Fletcone records where we had UFO Tofu and Flight of the Cosmic Hippo. And we had song titles like Flying Saucer Dudes and things like that. We always liked to have a lot of fun with the titles. The album covers were always these sort of the future but retro, you know, like an old-fashioned future, like with Buck Rogers and the banjo and the hippos flying through outer space and dogs flying rocket ships. Rocket Science seemed to fit in with that. We were looking for a title where we could go back to the original artwork with that sort of an approach and sort of continue that kind of feeling. And when I came up with a title, uh, we were looking for titles. We were running out of uh, ideas, and nobody liked anything I had come up with, and all my titles were kind of serious and thoughtful. And then I said, well, what about rocket science one day? And my manager and the record label said, this is great. This is perfect. And I was like, really? It sounds like, we're, sounds like we think we're real complicated or something. And they said, you are real complicated. 
<laughs> it's okay. <laughs> it is, the music is rocket science. So I thought, well, okay. And then the band all liked it, so then I, I said, okay, that's fine. So what do you think about the new album, Rocket Science? I'm really proud of the Rocket Science. The first album we've done with Howard Levy and since 1992 when, when we did UFO Tofu. And he left the band around that time, and we had a lot of different people playing with us, a lot of great people, especially uh, Jeff Coffin, who was with us for 14 years. But when he left to join the Dave Matthews Band, it kind of created the opportunity for us to reinvent again. And we decided to go, uh, I guess you could say, back to the future, or backwards to the future, and, and go back and get Howard and see if he would be interested in coming out and doing a new album and a new tour. And luckily he was. And if you don't know about Howard, he's one of the greatest musicians in the world. And when we started the band, it was those four guys, Howard, Victor Wooten, Future Man, and myself. That was the reason for the band, was those four guys. So honestly, everything since then, although Victor and Future Man and I have stayed together, all of the other people that have played with us have been you know, altering the original vision of the group. So coming back to Howard 17 or 18 years later and seeing how he's advanced as a musician and how we've all advanced as musicians and coming back and trying to figure out now where would we take, where would we take it from, uh, from 1992 to get to here with all this different stuff that we've all done in between. It was, it was kind of an exciting prospect and it made the band brand new again. And so we've just been having a blast out on tour and, and the record process went very, very smoothly and, and very excitingly. <laughs> I guess it's not good English, but that's how it was. It was excitingly, and now we're out on tour through April and having a blast. Do you have a favorite song from the Rocket Science album? Well, they're all my favorites. Those are the ones that, that made the record. And we went through a big, a big list of songs to get to those and just kept on refining those tunes till we were really happy with what they were. So I, I think that there's a lot of variety in the album, and that's why I don't like to say, well, this song is the best or that song is the best, because... As a piece, the whole, the whole album has the kind of quality we were shooting for. We're talking with Bela Fleck. What is the best thing about being Bela Fleck? Oh, the best thing about being Bela Fleck? I get to play the banjo, and I get to play this great old banjo from the 1930s, this Gibson Flathead Master Tone Style 75 that just sounds great. And every day I get to pick up that instrument and play it. And I get to play it with musicians like Victor and Future Man and, and Howard, and I get to play with guys from Africa and musicians from the bluegrass world. I got to play with Chick Corea for a year, and I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, the, the people, uh, Zakir Hussein and Edgar Meyer, and we got to play this last several years, and Stanley Clark and John Luke Ponte and I got to go out and tour, and the Sparrow Quartet with my wife, Abigail Washburn. So, I mean, my life is really good. Now, you have to really like playing music to like my life, but luckily I do. When someone listens to one of your records or a live performance, what do you hope they get from the experience? Hmm. Well, I hope it has some emotional resonance for them, you know, that it's not uh, just hearing somebody play, you know, a bunch of busy banjo and that it's, uh, there has to be a heart to the thing or it's not going to work. I hope that there's a place for it in their life and that it might also, there might be in, some in, inspiring qualities uh, of, uh, with what I've been able to achieve that they might, they might be able to apply to their own worlds. Because this is a crazy dream, what I'm doing and, and what the Flectones are doing in particular, the idea that we could put a band together with such diverse kinds of musicians, every one of them trying to change their instrument and have it be a success is, is still kind of mind-boggling. So it's possible. Music has brought you a lot of places. Where do you think the banjo will take you next? 
Well, next is, I can tell you where it's taking me next, and that's uh, in front of a symphony orchestra. And I've been writing a, a banjo concerto for the last six months or so, and I'm going to be performing it uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, with the, the, the Nashville Symphony in September. And that's been a, a, a huge job, writing for the whole orchestra and also uh, finding a place for the banjo within that you know, 80-piece orchestra is a big challenge as well. Very exciting. What is it you like about music? Hmm. That's almost such a basic question. I don't even know how to respond. <laughs> sort of in more of an instinctive thing. I mean, it, it was the banjo in particular, but when I heard it, it was almost involuntary. I just really wanted to know what that was, and there's a curiosity for me. But I find music fascinating, and what people have come up with, both in the long traditions like classical music or Indian classical music, traditional music, and modern music, uh, even pop, you know, there, there's just so many inventive ways to express yourself as a human being with music, and I like being a part of that world. It's been great speaking to you. I have one final question that's kind of open-ended. This interview is going to be heard by people in a lot of different places. Do you have any parting words of wisdom? Well, I don't know how wise I am, but some of the things that I've learned have to do with idealism, I guess and sort of sticking with your guns and believing in yourself, so that, sort of, that sort of junk. And I've only regretted the things I've done as a musician where, where I stepped away from that one way or another. Um, a lot of musicians get caught up in trying to be a success right now, and they don't think about how they're going to feel about what, they, what they're doing 20 years from now, especially young musicians. So my advice is to think about how you're going to feel about something down the line and think long-term. Very wise advice. Well, Mr. Fleck, thanks so much, and I very much appreciate this interview. Yeah, me too. It was good talking to you. Thank you. Goodbye.